Thanks everyone for joining. This is, I think it's week eight or nine um, of 13. So we're deep into the sanctification class and have provided a really solid theological foundation. And so uh, for those of you that have been in classes that I've taught prior, you might be thankful that this one isn't quite as theologically dense and it's more practical and application um, focused, which is uh, just as important as understanding the, the right foundation from a theology perspective. But I guess what we can do is I'll open, some, open us up in prayer and then we'll just go ahead and dive in. So. We'll pray. Um, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, just bringing us here safely um, through the weather this weekend and through um, those that may not have heat and that may not have shelter. Father, just be with them and um, just give them um, give them shelter, provide them warmth somehow, Father. Just thank you for this church, this body of believers um, as we gather together to learn more about you, to talk more about um, the, the word, the scripture, and to learn how to become more like you as our example. Uh, Father, just strengthen us today. Um, strengthen the lesson that I may speak words that are true to you and true to what you would have me to say, um, true to your word. And be with, I believe it's Jeremy who's preaching today. Father, be with him and give him strength and uh, make our hearts um, receptive and our ears uh, turn toward the message that he has to share for us today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So the first thing I want to do is recap, and I'm not going to recap nine weeks worth of lessons, but a couple things that I think are salient to today's discussion, because today's discussion focuses, if you, if you have the book or if you're following the little David Campbell book, it's the title of, of today's lesson comes from the chapter, The All-Important Setting. And so now we have the theological foundation, and I've ran this one into the ground in every lesson that I've taught, but we have justification followed by sanctification and then glorification. And we're in this already not yet moment where we're being progressively sanctified, but we have our definitive sanctification already aligned in our union with Christ. And that's all the theological things that we've talked about in prior weeks. And that's the, that's the backdrop, that's the foundation to keep in mind when we hear everything that we talk about, particularly today, because we talk about things from the word, the law, and it's important to keep that foundation in the back of our minds. Um, then we have the work of God and how sanctification is ultimately a work of the Father. And particularly, it's explicitly Trinitarian in that the Father plans and purposes it. And we've talked about scripture in past lessons of where he talks about our sanctification um, being sure and being uh, uh, planned by the Father. The Son, his death on the cross, dies for us and gives it to us. And in our faith that the Spirit gives us, we are then unified with Christ, that union with Christ, and that's in part how we become sanctified. And then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that gives us, that, that Christ has given us, that God has given us, does that work of inward transformation in us. So that's sort of the Trinitarian backdrop of sanctification. And then we have what your first quote on the page is, and I printed this out for everyone so everyone can have one, is from the, the Westminster Large Catechism. And, and I chose this one. I think John may have put it in a lesson that Ryan taught or something. But I, I really like the definition here because it sort of 
is a summation of everything we've talked about, but we'll talk about today as well. That sanctification is a work of God's grace, whereby they whom God has before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy are in time through the powerful operation of his spirit applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them, renewed in their whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance into life, and all other saving graces put into their hearts, and those graces so stirred up, increased and strengthened, as that they more and more die into sin and rise into newness of life. And from the past eight weeks, we've talked about a lot of those things up front. The work of God's grace, that before the foundation of the world were chosen to be holy, which means set apart. Set apart being different, but also set apart from our old self as well. Through the powerful operation of the Holy Spirit, we talked about the Spirit and talked about how we've been given the Spirit. We just mentioned that. But we're going to turn our eyes a bit towards the more, I guess, practical aspect of the setting here in today's lesson um, and that part about dying into sin, rising into newness of life, and the practical things the scriptures and God has for us. And we'll talk about that. So we have the theological backdrop. Then we have Christ as our example. I think we had two specific weeks. Number one, about just solely looking at Jesus. And then one about, I think the title of it was Time to Get the Knife Out and how we model our life after the life of Christ. And if someone would read, I think, I don't know if I included it on here, or I don't think I did, but if, if anyone has Ephesians 4, I'd love for you to read that one, verses 20 through 24. Um, anyone, Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, because this is the uh, one example or the one scripture that I chose to highlight about Christ being our example and what we can draw from that. That is not... <clears throat> But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Thanks, Danny. So that's sort of the summation of Christ as our example. Assuming that you've heard about him, taught him, to put off your old self and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. And we'll talk more about Christ and his example and, and what we've learned throughout our time together in this class already. So we have the theological backdrop. We have Christ as our example. And finally, what Sheldon covered last week, which I thought was a great lesson, was expectations. So... Is this how our life looks, like a, any project that we're going to have? Does our life in sanctification look like this, right there? And then we finish, I should draw, um, you know, whatever, if I, if I could draw heaven, I would. And we just, you know, we just continue to progress in our life like that. It's a straight arrow. We start off, and then we just roll the rest of life. Is that how, is that how we should expect it to be? And sin is back here, and... We're no longer left with sin, and we just progress towards holiness. Is that it? It looked more like a saw. It looks more like a saw. And then it, and then it tailed off at the end. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, I work in cardiology. It probably looks a little more like this, which looks like a heartbeat. You know, we're going to have ups and downs. That's a sick patient. That's how much actually what that looks like. Um, 
Point being that our sanctification is going to go through a process. It's not going to be this straight shot up. I don't know if anyone has read, um, I think it's James Clear Atomic Habits. But I've used this before that, this is more of a business example, we talked about Six Sigma last time, so I figured we could add this one in there, that we think everything is going to go like this, but in fact, it's going to be more like this, and then you get some, and what he calls this area right here is the Valley of Disappointment. That, you know, you got to go through the Valley of Disappointment before you ever reach the, um, the place that you're actually going in your project or whatever it is, but taking it to here, we're going to have ups and downs. It's going to be a struggle in this life. Sanctification is a process, and the means by which that happens can sometimes be painful and unfortunate and sad and messy. And it's going to be our life. And so David Campbell, um, and, and I think too, importantly here, it's a progressive process. But again, to keep that theological backdrop appropriate, we have this justification that's solid. And we're free from the bondage of sin. So we are free from the bondage of sin. But that doesn't mean that sin is not going to be present. We're going to be continually struggling with that and fighting against it day after day throughout our life. And so, sure, some sins may dissipate some, but we're going to struggle. We're going to have a lifelong journey and process with sin and with sanctification until we reach glorification. But I love the quote, so it's the, I think it's the second quote on here. I may not, yeah, I did include it. It's, it's from the script, from the last uh, chapter uh, this is from the book that we're using as a guide for the class. And David Campbell says, To suppose that sin can be eradicated before the end is a serious mistake. To imagine that it's been eradicated is a delusion. <laughs> Hebrews speaks about the deceitfulness of sin. A great verse from 13. We don't have to go there, but, but it's a, a great passage in Hebrews. Don't let it deceive you into thinking that it has gone. It has regard... It has no, regardless of however, um, I think that might have been a mistype, uh, how far advanced you may be in your sanctification, the believer who truly knows himself disclaims perfection as Paul did in Philippians. And in that verse in Philippians, um, someone wants to turn to that because I do like that verse. Philippians 3, well, I like all the verses, but this one in particular, um, I think, highlights what we're looking for. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained it. Mm. Or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Mm. Not that I have already obtained this, or <laughs> I am already perfect. So Paul denies perfection. So there's no way in our life that we can say, yep, that sin's behind me. No longer have to deal with that. You know, I'm too good. You know, how prideful. <laughs> How almost pharisaical of us to think that particular uh, um, setting applies to us. Um, that, you know, I think Sheldon said it, or Danny, maybe you said it, that the more and more we grow through our life, the more and more we realize the gravity of sin in our life and how much more we need our Savior. And that we are as far from perfect as we actually should be. And it gives us a realization of what Christ actually did in this life and how he perfectly obeyed the law that was set out before him and how we should strive to do so, but we are absolutely going to fail at that miserably. So that's where we are. That, that, that's, that's what we've talked about. And today's lesson focuses on the all-important setting. 
And I really like how he opens this up. I, I personally do not have a green thumb. I don't know if anyone has a green thumb in this room. I don't. I, 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 and my wife, probably a little more than I do, but she would probably admit that she doesn't either. We've tried to grow houseplants, and it doesn't work. Or herbs, we haven't been successful. But plants and trees require factors. They require items for proper health and growth. Soil, sunlight, moisture, air, temperature. Beth and I was talking about this lesson yesterday, and she made the point, too, that, well, some are more sun-bearing uh, plants, so they require more light than others. Some require more attention than others. Um, these constitute the setting with which the life of the plant develops, and they can become fruitful. And so there's a, there's a setting, there's factors that are important to the growth and the life of plants. I chose an analogy a little more close to my heart that I understand a little more, and that's coffee. I love making a really good cup of coffee. And although I know my father-in-law will joke about what I actually do to make a cup of coffee, the appropriate water temperature is actually important for coffee. The correct dosage in grams, yes I am a pharmacist, the correct dosage in grams of coffee, the quality of water, the correct technique, and then there's some preference there. Um, all of these things go into making a really good cup of coffee, particularly if you're doing a pour over, getting the right water temperature, doing the right technique, the right brewer, the right amount of time, it all changes the flavor of the profile of the coffee. And so, within the context of our sanctification, we have to consider the setting that God uses, the appropriate factors, the means by which He utilizes to progress us through our sanctification and that we take hold of to progress through our sanctification. And Beth, you, why don't, I would love for you to chime in what you said about the coffee analogy yesterday, because it was really, it, you really added to it. Uh, we were talking about how there's essential components in making coffee. So you can't have coffee without water. So water is essential, but maybe the quantity of water is different or the temperature is different depending on the type of grind. Or uh, But you have to have water. So that we were talking about that. Well, that's an essential. So what are the essential essential components of sanctification mm -hmm. is kind of the, the point. The point of that, like, yeah. There's there's certain parts that are necessary, but it may differ in how that comes comes about and it's used. Yeah, and it's in, the the reason I think that's important is because there are certain things foundationally that we've already laid about sanctification, our justification, our our assurance, and our position with God. Now, there's obviously a thing about complete unrepentant sin in life. That's a different story. There's unrepentant sin that may question whether somebody is truly abiding in Christ and truly a part of the vine. That's a different story. We're talking about the believer that feels the repentance, but, you know, we'll go on that up and down thing. The, the justification that we have in Christ is solid, and that is something to put the backdrop when we think about everything in sanctification. But it requires certain things. The theological foundation is required. And then there's what God uses during the progression of our sanctification, and there's a couple things that, that David Campbell highlights in this chapter, and that would be the use of God's Word or Scripture through prayer and through suffering. Those are three means, and I think we're even, the next lesson we'll talk about more means, but those are the three that are focused on this particular week. So we'll first draw our attention to God's Word in our sanctification. So how does this apply? We have this rich body of text right here on the, on the thing. 
from beginning to end that tells the redemptive story of humanity from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we have this unfolding redemptive picture all the way from when in Genesis 3.15 that we had the, the, the first um, uh, note of the coming of Christ and that, that there's a promise all the way to um, the Israelites and the kings and everything that happened in the Old Testament leading up to the Gospels, to Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection. And then the disciples going out and making uh, uh, disciples of all nations. We have this entire redemptive history, but within that we have this rich scripture that instructs us and informs us on how we should conduct our lives, and we can draw from that. So how does the Spirit, first of all, this is a question, how does the Spirit work in us to bring about faith and transforming union in Christ? I guess that's the first question for the group. How does the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, work in us to bring about faith, I think that's the first key to answering the question, and transforming union with Christ. So the Spirit, through the hearing and understanding of the word of the gospel, the Spirit then works in us to bring about faith and transforming union with Christ. We have this after hearing the gospel, after confessing with our mouths, then we have this, uh, it brings about faith within us, and we're then unified with Christ <laughs> in, after our justification, after our redemption, through that. So we have first hearing and understanding of the gospel, and we hear that in lessons, and we hear that and we preach the gospel to us perpetually. But I guess more specifically, what does the word tell us about Christ as our pattern? And we've already addressed a little bit about that in the intro. We have the example of Christ throughout the four Gospels. But specifically, I want to turn to Romans 8, 29-30. And we all know this verse, and we've all heard this verse before, I believe. And I'll read this one so you guys can follow along. Romans 8, 29-30 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so, the word specifically tells us, Paul tells us in Romans, that for those he foreknew, he predestined those to be conformed to the image of the Son. And so, it is outright part of God's plan for us those that are called to be in his family, to be conformed through our life to the image of the Son. And we have this example here, and we know that that follows up, that those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. So that is set for us. But through our life, we have Christ as our pattern. We have Jesus to look to, how he interacted with others, how he carried himself the tenets by which he held himself to, and we'll talk more about that, that we are called to be conformed to the image of his Son. And we have this glorious example of Christ 
throughout the four Gospels. And another quote that I didn't include from David Campbell, I like the way he phrased it. I couldn't say it any better, that's why I chose it, is we see him living in costly obedience to the Father and exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. We come face to face with every respect in which we are to resemble him. When we look at Christ's example of the Gospels, how he carried himself, how he directed himself, how he interacted with others, I know I just said that, but we have this example richly laid out in the Gospels for how we should direct our lives and how we should conform ourselves to that. So that's what the Word tells us about Christ as our pattern. You know, as we navigate this really messy, difficult, and dark world, we have this, this rich scripture to guide us, to alert us, to warn, to put us on our guard, and to point us in the right direction. We have it sort of as a guide to search through and to learn from. It tells the redemptive history. Don't, don't misquote that I'm downplaying the fact that there is a redemptive aspect from the beginning to the end of Scripture, and that's the purpose of what the Scripture does, but it's there as a guide. It's there as something to instruct us and for us to live by and to read and to take in and to navigate us. And when we have... Um, an issue to turn to it, to seek to it for wisdom, obviously pray for wisdom, and we'll talk about prayer. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, my, my question is kind of um, more foundational because I'm, I'm trying to move back a little bit because for me, I'm wondering, now, is this teaching for all Christians? When we, when we come to Christ, we all are going through the same process, or is it just that, because I, I guess because I'm wondering more like, the apostles and the prophets, things like that, are they kind of at a higher level of teaching? Not necessarily. I mean, they should they do they do, could they quote more? Maybe they could. Could they, do they know more? Maybe. But we all are on this journey in this same process together. And you can look to others who who may can they may can quote or they may can describe or, or relate to the scriptures, but, but we're all on this journey together. There's no, like, there's no level that, you know, there's no hierarchy to this. There's no hierarchy. There's no, like, one better than other. No. But you, I mean, I would never be trying to, at this point at least, trying to do your job, <laughs> you know, teaching in, in this class. But I, my curious is, how do you feel more compelled to, to get up and, uh, you know, explain some of these things. Yeah, I enjoy teaching. That's one thing. I, I have a passion for but teaching. Do you, do, you, do you find that's just a natural thing that come, God has put that in your path? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm thinking, would I ever be doing this? I don't know. You know what I mean? Just because I'm teaching doesn't mean I know more that, I, that I'm at a higher level of sanctification than others. I just... You know, I, I think it goes back to the fact that we all have some level of gift that we can contribute. And I enjoy, I have a passion for teaching. I, have, I enjoy, I happen to enjoy reading theological commentaries and digging into the theology. But that's not the most important. It, is it important to understand? Sure, it's important to understand. But is it necessary? I, I don't think it's necessary. Um, it, it helps you grow. If that's a way that you choose to grow in your walk and to grow through your sanctification, that's great. But it doesn't require that, you know, it's not like a syllabus, like, you know, you've gone through things and like, well, before you can graduate, you've got to be able to teach three classes. There's, there's nothing like that in, in our pathway of sanctification. So um, that's just in your own maturity with, in Christ. Yeah. Well, I think it's too, like, just the, the important thing is the Word, mm -hmm. whether... However, that is going back to the coffee example. Like, you, it requires water to make coffee. 
but whether you want to study it and read commentaries and really dig in or whether, whether or not you add pumpkin spice yeah yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I yeah i think there's like room there's lots of room but the word is the what does it say in hebrews um sharper than two-edged sword oh yeah Get through the. You said yeah, it the other the bone marrow. With the bone and marrow, you can literally perform surgery. You know? yeah. yeah. So, and I think that's that is the important thing. It's applicable to whatever, wherever you are in, whether you enjoy theology or mm-hmm. whether you enjoy gardening. Yeah. <laughs> I like the food analogy for the word. Like. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I said man shall not live on bread alone. Like. Right. We're all human beings. We can't survive long without food. Right. Yeah. Christians cannot survive long. We cannot thrive at all without the Word of God. And so if we're not consuming His Word, we're just starving ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't grow without food, just like a plant. What about those that don't have the opportunity that we have? Mm-hmm. I mean, we come to church mm-hmm. almost every Sunday and are mm-hmm. fed. And I think of all oh, the many, many, many that just don't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And yet God doesn't seem to be, I don't see where he's, I don't know if forgiving is the right word, but he doesn't seem to make much space for any lack of knowledge of him. Mm-hmm. And I know they say, well, you can just look in the, and you know there's, you know, a creator, you know there's a God. But I just think about the people in the inner city and where, where's their hope? I mean, and I guess that puts a burden on us to get in there and give them that hope. I think that's part of it. You know, I, I don't think it, there's a there's a part of um, I guess there's a couple aspects of it. Um, you know, those who God calls, He will bring into His family, and so if there's a way for these individuals, He will bring them into His family somehow through some means, through some reaching out by individuals, or some way that they will hear the truth of the gospel. Um, and, and there is, I'll say a burden, but there is uh, an onus, there, there is a reason for us to share the gospel, to, you know, drive to, um, well, not physically drive, but to have a drive as a Christian community to share it with others and to proclaim the truth of the gospel. I mean, you know, this, I think this is one reason that, uh, that churches support missionaries to do so. Um, and, and missionaries don't even have to go to foreign countries. They can be in, within the own city um, to do so and, and provide mission work for their own city. I think it's a good point, um, and I think there's a, there's a couple ways to look at it. Uh, but I think it's, it's a point that's, that's valid. It's hard to get, it's hard not to get hung up on that question. Yeah. And yes. then almost kind of use it as a, like, well, the word. Mm-hmm. For sure. But it's like, well, we have the word. You know, mm-hmm. what a blessing. Like, mm-hmm. like, yeah. But how many in America just because they go to church are truly believers? Who knows, right? I know when I was in Africa, they yeah. went on cars. They, they hitchhike. They run in the back of semi trucks and flatbed trucks just to get to church. Uh, the pastors are farmers. They, they spend all day harvesting and they study at night. And people walk for miles. And other people have cars, the trucks. The would be not legal in America. They have pile 12, 13 people in the back of their truck and drive their neighbors to church. So, yeah. the, so the people, and this is in a communist country where technically church is illegal, and people that really want to hear the word go out of their way and they, mm-hmm. they struggle, like I said, 13 in the back of a truck, to get to church. And pastors don't even assume they're going to get paid. Most pastors don't 
Mm-hmm. Right? They're out, they're out working the fields like everybody else during the daytime, and yet they still preach on Sundays. And it's just amazing that the, the people that God has called, there is that hunger for the yeah. Word, and they do whatever they can to learn and to gather. And it's just, it's just remarkable seeing where it's not easy to be a Christian, how hard people work to learn about the Lord and to gather together. Yeah, it's, that's so true. That's a, that's a great point, Tyler. I mean, I, I, I gathered some small level of appreciation to that. I've been to Nicaragua twice with our medical missions trip. I know Larry has, Larry Stack has gone and, and it's, it's through Vanderbilt uh, Medical Christian Foundation, or I think that's it, MCF. Um, Fellowship, thank you, not foundation, fellowship. And Beth went with me the last time that we went to Nicaragua. And just, as you said, the, the hunger that these people have, I mean, they'll pile literally in the back of trucks and go up. And the, the, the time that she didn't go, literally was up this mountain side almost to get to the top of the hill where the church was. And I mean, it was a stone foundation with nothing in there. They had a couple like, you know, plastic chairs and the pastor was just yelling because they had no electronics whatsoever. But it was just incredible what these people do to actually seek and find and, and worship and learn more. Richard Wormbrandt, uh, he was God's smuggler. <laughs> and he said, um, he said that one time he was going through and he came upon this couple and they had been commissioned to make a sculpture of a man. And um, they were having a talk, and he said, what's going on? And they said, huh, we're having the hardest time with this. You know, we're told three times a day we have to stop and say, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. And we've wondered, if there is not one, why do we spend so much time talking about him? (laughs) Now now we're trying to build this sculpture of Mm -hmm. a man. And we just know there's got to be a God because we cannot get this thumb right. Right. We can't get it right. And he said, well, so do you worship this God that made the thumb? And she, and the lady, I believe it was, said, how can we? We don't know his name. And he said, I do. And so, you know, it was mm. back when I read that, I just thought, wow, how neat, Lord. You take care of if there is no way for somebody to know about Jesus, you send somebody in. Isn't that beautiful? And yeah, it is to me. I just, I just, he's going to make sure those that he's called or that he set apart, they're going to know him. Mm. Mm. That's exactly right. Absolutely. And I think you have to also consider what part you play in that. Yeah. Um, and where God's had you planted. And so mm-hmm. a lot of, even the person that asked the question back here, it's what part are you playing in the body of Christ? Are mm-hmm. you an arm? Are you the leg? Are you an eye? Are you, you know, so we each, and, and part of that sanctification is making sure you're the part of the body that you that God called you to yeah. be. Mm-hmm. He didn't call everybody to teach. He didn't, right. You know, a lot of the people that are behind the scenes that you never see mm-hmm. are a lot of the foundation of what is happening in your church. That's exactly right. I think that's such a good point that we all contribute in different ways that we all build up. I mean, you know, there's so many physiology analogies that I'm not going to make in a class like this, but so <laughs> many ways that certain parts of the body function so that another part can function appropriately. And it's very, that, 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 that analogy rings true, that wherever that, that we will have a specific place within the body of Christ the, the church body to um, to create and, and to drive um, the mission that God has set out for the church the church and the church at large and I, I think it's a large part faith 
too, of yeah. like, okay, well, your word says, you know, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Mm-hmm. And like Hebrews says, you know, that Jesus is the exact imprint of, of, of God. Mm-hmm. And like, there's so many things of saying like, okay, well, somehow, somehow this, this will lead me to more understanding. I may not be academic or I may not be, um, an educator or, uh, what, whatever, but somehow this is applicable to everyone, all humanity. Right. And if, if God has called us, if we are truly part of the, you know, he will bring about our sanctification somehow, but we know that this has got, this is a part of it somehow. Right. <laughs> somehow. So someone turned to Psalm 119 because we're going to talk about that dirty word, the law. well I I say that in jest Um, it could have a real negative connotation but where can we go to learn the law of God we have the scriptures and if someone would be so kind to read 119 Psalm 119 verses 97 through 104 this was the the longest psalm in in the scriptures but this, this, this passage is very, very um, familiar to most of us, but we're going to make some points about this. Oh, I, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Mm-hmm. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Mm, Thank you. So, this passage of scripture is so critical I think, and it's David's cry. When he goes, he says, Oh, how I love your law. And I wonder how often we actually say this. And I, I kind of took that analogy from R.C. Sproul, the quote that we'll talk about in a second. But how often do we actually think back and say, Oh, how I love your law. So there, there are three, and you've heard me teach this before, the three uses of the law. The first use is absolutely to convict us, to show us that We cannot follow it to the degree that is required for justification, for pleasing the Lord, and thus we need a Savior to stand in and become perfectly obedient to do that for us. That's the first use of the law. It absolutely condemns us. The second use of the law is, bang, you go to prison. Like, it's civil. It's, you know, you steal, there's consequences. You shoot somebody, kill them, you're going to prison. That's the second use of the law. But the third use of the law, that's the guide for us to live by, to be instructed by, to read and to understand. And that is the entirety of scriptures, not just New Testament, but Old Testament and New Testament alike. We learn and glean from the insight of scriptures. And I love this quote, and I'm going to try to read it in a, in a way that, that R.C. Sproul, I, I listened to a sermon the way that he said this. So if, you, you, if you'd like to follow along, I did print that out for everyone. He said, for a Christian to say, I once loved the law, but now I love Christ and ignore the law, is simply not to love Christ, because Christ loved the law. 
His meat and his drink, going back to what you said, Phoebe, the, the food that nourishes us, his meat and drink, the scriptures tell us, was to do the will of the Father. <coughs> Jesus viewed his entire mission, excuse me, his entire life as a mission to fulfill every single point of the law and to achieve perfect obedience to the commandments of God. His motive was to not keep a list of rules, but to do the will of the Father. And the Father clearly expresses his will through the law. So it behooves us to look to the, to, the God, to the scriptures and to say, oh, how I love your law, because it was the meditation of Christ on a daily basis. It was what David cries out and says, oh, how I love your law. It's something that we should focus on and meditate and understand and strive to do. It's part of our life, and we can, we can turn to the scriptures to learn about the law of God. It's a great sermon um, that R.C. Sproul, um, well, not sermon, it's more of a 20-minute 20 um, uh, uh, sermonette on loving the law, but it's, it's really insightful. So what about scriptures pointing us towards pursuing sanctification? Well, I'm going to, as we're behind a few minutes, uh, because I like to belabor my, my talking sometimes, um, I'll read a few of these scriptures and you can jot them down if you'd like. So 1 Peter, so where does the scriptures point us in, toward pursuing sanctification? Uh, 1 Peter uh, 1, 22 and 23 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of a perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The scriptures, and these are, there's multiple places in scripture that point us toward the sanctification that we will be pursuing in our life. But, you know, I turn to the um, Jesus um, with the disciples in the upper room. And in John 17, 16 through 17, we can take hold of this because Jesus looks at his disciples and, he, 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 and he's praying through this prayer. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And so he says in his prayer, Jesus prayed for sanctification of the disciples. He prays for the sanctification of us, to sanctify them in the truth that your word is your truth. So in summary of all of these different scriptures and points, we have the scriptures to read, to meditate on, to delight in, to listen to, to listen in preaching. And we're going to hear more about that next week. You know, it, the important thing is, is reading the Word and understanding the Word. You don't have to be theologically savvy. You don't have to teach it. Read it and let it speak to you what it says, what, what God would have it say through reading it. But we also have the means that we hear on Sundays. We hear it being taught. We hear it being spoke. We hear it being read. We hear it being sung in hymns and in songs. So we can meditate on the Scriptures constantly. The last two means we'll wrap up um, in the next few minutes so we can go uh, through uh, that final quote because I think it really is a nice summation. So not only do we have the Word, but we have prayer. God's means through prayer as part of our sanctification. So a couple examples here. When we see examples of upright men and women in the Scriptures, we not only see their impassioned love for the law of God, we hear that multiple times, but also a spirit of prayerfulness. I thought this was a really insightful portion of the chapter. So in, in Acts 9-11, where um, it, this is during Paul's conversion from being Saul of Tarsus to Paul, uh, Ananias 
uh, was of Damascus, and she was, Ananias was instructed in Acts 9-11 to go find a man of Tarsus named Saul. Now, this is after God had already sort of um, hit him down and struck his vision blind. And the verse reads, Go find a man Saul, of Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So many times we look to the scriptures and we, we see um, upstanding uh, upright men and women. Now, at this point, Saul had done you know a lot of treacherous things in, in the Christian church to the Christians and to the Christian church. But many times, um, and not in a prideful or um, or uh, building them up kind of way, but when you see upright men and women, you see them not only having a love for the law and the scriptures, but also in constant prayer. So we can use prayer as part of our sanctification and through our sanctification. But I, I, I turn to the example of Christ, and I wanted to try to find how many times recorded in the New Testament that it was recorded that Christ was to be was praying. Mm. I don't know if anyone wants to take a guess how many verses. It's not probably as many as you think, so don't give me like 300. But like how many verses or how many instances in the Scripture do you think it's recorded that Jesus is praying? 40? 40? Yeah, it's really close. It's, it's like 35 to 40. Somewhere around, I didn't do it. I didn't do an actual count, like go through every single one of them. But it's in, it's only ordered between thirty-five and forty verses where Jesus is recorded to be praying. I mean, he prayed before rising, raising Lazarus. He prayed in the upper room. He played. You see it all the time. He prayed. He prayed. He prayed. He prayed. It's part of something. And if we're using Christ as our example, then certainly prayer is a means by which God um, and and helps foster sanctification in our life. We have, and then we have the historic example of the Lord's Prayer. I don't think we need to go to the Scripture because everybody can probably recite it off the top of their head. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We have examples in the Lord's Prayer on what is a focus of our prayer. Praying for the reverence of God's name, the hallowed be, that's the reverence of. The coming of the kingdom, the doing of his will on earth. Those are all examples that we can look to in Christ in prayer. We already talked about Christ praying for our sanctification. But thinking about even an Old Testament example for how the Old Testament prophets and individuals prayed, we can look to David. Not only will we, in his prayer in the Psalms that we just had, oh, how I love your law, Lord, but he said in 51, Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, he prayed diligently to God. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit with me, from me, not with me, from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So that's the context of prayer. Any other thoughts on the use of prayer, the means of prayer um, in our sanctification? If there's any other comments or any other verses that you guys like. I just, I, something I always think about in terms of like prayer and, 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 and scripture is they're described by a lot of, of you know, older theologians as the, or, the ordinary means of grace. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of times for some of us, like growing up in, like I grew up in a Southern Baptist church where um, it was legalistic-ish. But everything was codified in some way, so it was, you know, it's like, well, you have to, you have to read your Bible every single morning, or you have to pray every single day, and I think it's the the danger is in the, there's a danger in codifying in that way, yeah. just as much as there's a danger in not doing it. And yep. So, you know, I think it's cheesy to I don't 
when people say Christianity is a, is a, it's a, it's a relationship, not a religion, I think that's a bunch of hooey, honestly. Um, but, but to speak to that a little bit, it's like, you know, if somebody's, if somebody were giving me marriage advice, count marriage counseling, right? And they said, Danny, if you love your wife, you'll talk to her. And, but then I, but then I would say, well, well, like how often do I have to talk to her? <laughs> how often should, do I, like how often almost and like, you know, that almost maybe not intentionally, but it comes with this excuse of like, well, if I don't know how often I should talk to her, then I don't really, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. there. But the point is, like, if you love the Lord and you and you want to pursue Him and you want to have any version of relationship with Him, you will talk to Him. Yeah, you will right. spend time with Him. Yeah, like let's to to get the the question of like, well, how like how often do I have to read my Bible or how often do I have to pray? It's like it's not even really a question. Right. It doesn't really matter. Right. You should just you should read. You should do it. it's, al- it's almost because if I can't quantify it, then we shouldn't talk about it. And I think mm-hmm. just some in in our past, we've been a little you know, sort of squirrely about that. You know, like, well, how often do I have to pray? How often do I read my Bible? It's like, well, at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that you actually do it right. to some degree, right? So it's, yep. it is the the quantity, not the quality, so to speak. It's, it, it is spending time in the Word. It's spending mm-hmm. time in prayer, and it's spending time in fellowship. I'm not going to codify that for you. Right. I'm not going to tell you how long or how often, um, but, I'm also, but I'm also going to tell you to do it. And those those two things are at odds. They're not at odds, right? Well, Me telling you to do it without telling you how or how often or why, those aren't mutually exclusive. We are inextricably, at least, I mean, for I think humans are inextricably linked to when something's put out there. You have to put limits and transactions and codification around it. That if you speak that you're going to do something, then you have to do it in X, Y, Z, or you have to put this frame around it, or you have to say if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this three times a week and uh, with these parameters set onto it. Um, I mean, it's like working out. You know, if you want to if you want to say, I'm going to work out, okay, I'm going to work out three days a week. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to get an hour in every time or train for a half marathon. You've got to put a calendar together to be able to train for a half marathon. It's very different here. Um, and the, I like what you said because I think even David Campbell goes back to it in the book and he's like, the, God speaks to us through the Word. Why should we not... Speak back to him. He, you know, he he tells us. Even when we say we love him, we should talk to him. It's the other way around too. If God loves us and speaks to us, shouldn't we want to speak back to him? And I think that's another way to look at that. So I, I really like the way that you brought that up. And I, he says, "Pray without ceasing." Mm-hmm. So he does exactly. Us, mm-hmm. You know, so our our attitude throughout the day mm-hmm. should be that when we have a question or a concern or we don't know how to, that you you think through, what does his word say? Mm-hmm. What what are you teaching me? Mm-hmm. How should I walk through this? Yeah. And so in that way, we live with an attitude of mm-hmm. prayer without ceasing. For sure. Uh, it's, I was going to mention that too, but that, that verse, that whole verse or that whole passage in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.16, Paul says, Rejoice always. Yeah. Pray without ceasing. Yeah. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Yeah. So going back to what you said earlier, how do we conform to to the image of Christ? Well, here's some things to do. Yeah. And and you know I've, I've learned over the years there in that aspect of well, how often do I pray? And you know if I'm not praying enough or spending a certain amount of time, then you know I'm I'm not making the mark. I, I, 
God has given certain people the gift of being prayer warriors. Mm -hmm. And so that's just what they do for hours on end. But that doesn't mean everyone accomplishes uh, praying without ceasing in, in that mode. It's, it's the attitude, it's the you're always ready, that phone line connection is always open. Yeah. And you don't have to reestablish it. So. Right. You can't put that limit of growing like that to everything. It's not like, you know, at one point you're, you know, as a Christian, and then at this point you're going to, every single person is going to progress as a prayer warrior through their life, or every single person is going to progress as a teacher in their life. It's not going to look like that. That's not the purpose of everything, and I think that's that's really insightful, Don. Well, I, I like how you said it as well about the that's like spirit of prayerfulness. Yeah. There is, there is prayer. There is sitting down, you know, closing your eyes and speaking directly with intention and focus. Um, but to think of it only in those terms, then yeah, we probably don't pray without ceasing. Because we way. have to go to work. Because we have yeah. to go to work. <laughs> we have to drive our cars. You can't close your eyes while you're driving. But you can have that spirit of prayerfulness. Yeah. Like, in, you can and still, it's just not why. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like having that spirit of prayerfulness yeah. and, and actually, like I've done that a million times, like driving somewhere, being anxious about something or, or God put somebody in my heart. Like, praying in that moment. Mm -hmm. I didn't close my eyes. I didn't, you know, center myself. I didn't light a candle, but I, you know, but I was pray praying, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's just kind of redefining how we, we have this, this sort of context and this connotation for prayer. Mm -hmm. We think it has to be this certain way. And in reality, it's just literally, it's just talking to God, mm -hmm. making our requests known yeah. to him, listening to what he might be saying back yeah. to us and yeah. having that spirit. Unless even, I mean, just being aware in the moment, like when we were driving up here yesterday, I mean, the wind was awful. Mm -hmm. And this truck had a trailer in front of us and some big cage, cage type <laughs> metal thing. And it just blew out of the trailer. Whoa! And I mean, it, it, you heard the crash as it skidded along the road. Wow. Skidded out of my way, and I just went, you know, and we were right behind him. And it's like, well, thank you, Lord, for protecting us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, instead of, wow, that was lucky. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. For <laughs> wow. Well, we should probably wrap up here in a second, but I want to mention the last means, and it's it, it's not that I didn't intentionally uh, not or put this at the end and not spend time on this, because I think we ran out of time. And it's it's also is equally um, a, a productive means. Um, it is important, although um, it may not be the most pleasant of importance. But uh, but God uses the means of suffering um, uh, to bring about sanctification. Um, it's the quickest way. Yeah, it is. It's the quickest way. Um, I, I want to read, well, at least John 15. We could do an entire lesson on John 15 um, about abiding in the vine. But this, you know, the, the point that he makes in here that you know, when he says in John 15, 1 through 4, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me uh, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so for those of us that we are, um, uh, that are part of God's family, we are abiding in him. And if you abide in him, the scripture says here that we will produce fruit. But that requires pruning. 
And that's not a pleasant process um, for us as Christians, but that's part of the process. And I would love to, to say more. I don't think we have time to say more about that verse, but I think that is, it, it's true that pruning is part of the process. Or even as Paul says in Romans 5, and I think we could probably all quote this by heart, that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Um, so suffering is the quickest um, and uh, probably a quite painful way um, to produce sanctification. But I, I really want to close because I read this a couple times, and that's the reason that I put this quote in here. It's a summation of, of almost everything we've talked about up to this point. And again, everyone says, it probably thinks when you hear me teach, why do you turn to Mike Horton all the time? It's just a guy that I tend to respect. I've got his systematic theology, and he's got a lot of great things to say. A lot of other theologians have really great things to say. I'm not like semi-worshiping Horton, I promise you, but he's just got a lot of great things to say. So I tend to turn to what he says um, in many ways. But here... This starts from the very beginning of what we talked about. Sanctification includes our own activity as enabled by God's grace. It is not Christ, but believers who die daily, take up their cross, and follow in the way of righteousness. As those who were spiritually dead and incapable of pleasing God, we were completely unable to cooperate with grace for our regeneration and our justification. So we already talked about that the Spirit has brought about this in us. We were not active at that time, but we were acted upon by the Spirit through the gospel. However, as those who are now alive in Christ, we are exhorted, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. And if you take that verse alone, you could really get frightened about what that means. But following it up, he says, although we can't work for our own salvation, we must we can and must work out that salvation in all areas of our daily practice, realizing more and more the amazing truth of our identity in Christ. And I think I said that at one point, that the, the entire purpose, one of the entire purposes of religion is to more and more and more teach us about the identity we already have in Christ and bring us in closer to the identity we already have in Christ. When God calls Adam, where are you? The Spirit leads us to answer in Christ to the glory and the pleasure of our Father. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, carrying one another, Paul exhorts. So I think it's a really, really nice summation of abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine, the fruit that we will produce, maybe being pruned, learning through the Word, through Scripture, through reading, through praying, and he sums it up there as in Galatians. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, not even become conceited, provoking one another and caring one another. So with that, um, thanks for your uh, participation. Thanks for the discussion. Um, Tyler, would you pray for us as we close out? Lord, I thank you. You are sovereign, and therefore our sanctification is not up to us. Mm -hmm. pray that we will trust in you as you prune us uh, through all the difficulties of life and trials trust that you are sovereign so that we know that you have a plan even if we don't know it and as we're in those valleys I uh, pray we will not despair mm -hmm. and as we're in those peaks uh, we won't be prideful yeah and know that you are there uh, through the entire process and thank you that it is finished thank mm -hmm. you that we will be glorified and we know that and so as we go through life I pray we'll have 
comfort in knowing that glorification is certain and that uh, mm-hmm. our sin cannot snatch us from your hands, Lord. I pray we'll remember that as we speak to others uh, who don't know you and have the humility to, to understand that they, they can't save themselves either. I pray you'll work through us to, to share your word to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah.